exposing the COVID pandemic and all those conspiracy theories that turned out to be fact-checked true. Dr. McCary is here and he's not pulling punches. Then Illinois looked at New York and California's felon coddling and decided to up the ante. Officer Brandon Tatum joins me. And finally, you know, I have some final thoughts. Here we go. I know y'all have been waiting on the edge of your seats, waiting with bated breath for this announcement, but rest easy, little sheeple. The wait is over. Tell them, Dr. Joe. Mr. President, first Detroit auto show in three years. Yeah. Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's But the pandemic is over. Well, good news, folks. Two years too late. Joe Biden has declared the COVID-19 pandemic to be over. And he should know because despite an armful of vaccines, he's had it twice in the last three months. But either way, throw in the towel, COVID fear pornographers, because the jig is up. So I guess that means y'all mask-loving liberals can finally unstrap the face diapers while you wait booster six, right? And we won't have to have mass mail-in voting with those convenient unmanned drop boxes all over, right? Look, COVID might just now be over for Joe and pals, but here in Nashville, Tennessee, it's been over for, well, damn near two years. And if COVID was as dangerous for healthy young people as the left wanted us to believe, every Nashvillian between the ages of 21 and 40 would be dead by now because we partied harder from 2022 date than ever before. And that's why y'all stuffy lockdown state liberals came here to party, whether you want to admit it now or not. But at any rate, glad to know Joe is on board with returning to the old normal. Yes, I have to wonder, though, what about all those people who lost their jobs due to vaccine status or worse, the ones who were essentially forced to get jabbed to keep their jobs and put food on the table? Where is their back pay or at the very least their apology? New York City, led by de Blasio Light Mayor Eric Adams, just now announced the sunset for its vax mandate on private sector workers and student athletes. But city workers? they are still forced to choose between a jab they don't want or need and unemployment. You know, it's worth noting you can literally get away with wielding an axe in a McDonald's in that city, but if you choose not to roll up your sleeve for experimental COVID vax one through four, heaven forbid, the audacity. The COVID science has been adjusted more than Nancy's dentures during the State of the Union at this point. But here's a handy little headline guide for y'all and feel free to follow along. February 2021, the vaccine was the saving grace and just one was strong. Then in May of 2021, they said the vaccinated could go unmasked. Gee, thanks. Then flash forward to July of that same year and that didn't last long. Mask up. Fall of last year, they finally admitted it was going to take more shots to really boost up that F-grade protection. Then it was three and four and so on and so forth. Oh, and vaccinated people, yeah, they still got COVID and even died from it. But those are just pesky little details. Those pesky little details sure lined the pockets of Big Pharma, though. So good to know someone got rich while Democrat tyrants got more powerful. Y'all feel cheated yet? Yeah, same. Though each and every day, I thank my lucky stars. I didn't take the jab. And I know the liberals are going to go berserk over the fact that I said that because while they like their food organic, untouched and natural, they sure do love a good experimental pharmaceutical. But like I care. Up next, COVID might be over, but I want a doctor's perspective. Dr. McCary has been skeptical of it all from the start, and he's been brave enough to speak out, and he's doing just that.
next. Well, he's a New York Times bestselling author, a healthcare expert at Johns Hopkins University. He writes for the Wall Street Journal. He served in leadership at the World Health Organization. Oh, and did I mention he's been one of the most vocal critics of all the BS the science community has been putting us through for the last nearly three years. Dr. Marty McCary joins me now. And I'm so excited to talk to you because I have so many questions. Uh, I want to just right out the gate ask you because you've been critical of this. But now, New York City is rolling back their vaccine mandate for private sector and student athletes, okay? City workers still under the vaccine mandate. And now they put out a new release saying, everyone go get your boosters. How many boosters does one really need? And at what point is putting that many boosters in your arm maybe not a good idea for the public <laughs> at large? Well, boosters are very good for shareholders for Pfizer and Moderna. If it were up to them, I think sometimes we'd be getting a booster every Monday morning when you show up at work. Don't say that because you're giving them ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but there's some evidence now. Look, we got to follow the literature. And what you're seeing now is studies come out and they get ignored, sidelined. Google will not even allow you to find them. Mm -hmm. Okay, And those studies are studies, for example, like the one that just came out showing that multiple boosters weaken the immune system compared to somebody who had the infection and had natural immunity. That was a big finding because there's, this, there's a fear that the multiple booster strategy might not be the right strategy. Now, maybe there's a magic number. There is with hepatitis B vaccines. When you hit two or three, then you're, you've maxed out, you've plateaued. And if you keep going, maybe we're doing what you do with allergy desensitization mm -hmm. where you keep introducing the stimulant and it weakens that immune system. So look, I think they're just ignoring the, the data. The data early on when the Wuhan strain was circulating found that if you're older and high risk, that additional booster might provide a little protection extra, but that was a small level of protection. And now we don't even have that strain circulating. The Wuhan strain is gone. And yet the Omicron vaccine they're pushing heavy right now is half the Wuhan strain vaccine and half the new Omicron vaccine. And they decided basically we don't need any studies. Right. We're just going to approve it. This is what bothers me from the get go. And they come after me every time I say it. But I still say this is an experimental vaccine. People come after me. Oh, well, what about measles, mumps and rubella? You got those series of vaccines when you were a kid. True. Time tested, studied. This, the ramrodding through the FDA of all these, these emergency use for this vaccine bothered me from day one. But what bothers me, you mentioned not being able to find research. This is what I find incredibly problematic. We're not even allowed to question the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And now people that are having vax injuries or vax side effects, boy, they are really shut down. What is the truth on that? And will we ever know the impacts that this vaccine is having on some individuals? Well, first of all, this Omicron vaccine that the White House is saying everyone should get, there is data, it's from eight mice. Now it's not efficacy data, it's just showing that they generate antibodies. So if that's enough for somebody to say, hey, we're gonna give it to everybody in the world, then I would challenge them to say, why aren't we seeing the human data? Human data has not been made public for the Omicron vaccine. And that's why? just- Why? I think it's because it didn't give results that were favorable. I mean, that was the case with the baby vaccine. If you remember the baby vaccine, babies and toddlers mm -hmm. for COVID, I'm not talking about the other vaccines. By the way, polio was studied for a year and a half before that broad recommendation. The baby vaccine, they did a tiny cohort. There was zero efficacy, none, statistically invalid efficacy in babies for Moderna and Pfizer. 
and then they put out a headline, top level evidence, you know, top level headline, safe and effective, go. Then they released the underlying data. Tracy Hogan and, and I and many others, Vinay Prasad, got into that data and we're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, statistically invalid? This test, we do statistical tests for a reason, to show whether or not there's an association or not. There was no association. There is no association of efficacy. They did not convene the FDA External Advisory Committee because every time those committee members say, hey, this didn't look good, we're not really supportive. They, they leak it, they hint it in the media. Hey, wait a minute, we're not on board with boosters and young people. FDA says, okay, we're not gonna convene you and have you vote as right. is customary. So that's the new game of the FDA for the party that claimed they were gonna follow the science and the scientists. Yeah. You didn't have two top FDA career, highly respected vaccine experts. The two top experts at the FDA quit in protest over political pressure in the past. That happened a few months into the Biden administration. Well, there's been a mass exodus that you've talked about mm -hmm. from the CDC, from several organizations that have said, hey, listen, we don't like this. We feel political pressure from the White House. We're not here to play politics. We're supposed to be about medicine, science and health. But it's never felt like that with COVID. Even from the early days of two weeks to flatten the curve, it never felt like this was motivated by public health and science. It always felt like it was motivated politically. And now these people, I mean, I talked to pilots who are saying, listen, we got a pilot shortage, but there's pilots that are afraid to get in that cockpit because they're afraid that they're gonna have a heart attack. They were forced to get the vaccine. Now that's been rolled back because they stood up for themselves. But what part of this do we have to worry about the side effects that we're gonna see in the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years? And will they ever be honest about it? It's hard to do the research, to be honest with you, as a Johns Hopkins tenured professor who primarily does research. There's a lot of pressure. Um, why would you do this study? There's no money to fund these studies. As you may know, we did the largest longitudinal study of natural immunity from my research team. We decided, hey, why isn't Fauci and others not doing this study? Instead, they dangled natural immunity as an unknown. For two years, invite the people in New York who first got infected to be tested as we did Check their antibody levels, see whether or not they have active antibodies that neutralize the virus. They did. And then you can make conclusions. That was published in our top medical journal, JAMA. The, the hardships we went through to do that study with no funding. We had to fund it from my own clinical revenue from some philanthropists. We got it published in JAMA, but then LinkedIn took it down as misinformation. It's a JAMA peer-reviewed publication. That's our top medical journal. This is the new McCarthyism in medicine. And I can't tell you, you know, I don't care if I get fired. I don't care if I go homeless. I don't care if I go to jail for what I'm saying. I believe with my own scientific integrity that there are questions that need to be posed that are not being posed because people are afraid. Most doctors are afraid. They're under pressure. They're getting bullied. I get thousands of physicians. Thank you. I believe the same thing. I've been telling my patients I'm getting a hard time. My media office at my hospital is telling me to shut up. They want to approve any interview I do before I do it. The researchers at the NIH get asked by reporters, can we interview? And they have to get approval from the NIH communications office. And they say, tell us what you're going to tell them. We've never had this in science before, and the purpose of science is to challenge deeply held assumptions. And it's not just COVID. 
It's why is, does the NIH spend zero dollars on food as medicine and sleep science as it relates to high blood pressure, so we're not just throwing meds at people. Well, maybe that's because there's not a whole lot of money in eating better, exercising, and sleeping. Maybe because Big Pharma can't take a cut of that. That's what it's starting to feel like. And it's starting to feel like these agencies that are supposed to be government agencies funded by our taxpayer dollars to protect us as citizens of this country care more about appeasing Big Pharma and lining their pockets, and our politicians are not blameless in this either. That's what bothers me the most, is all of this has felt hyper-political. How have you not been canceled yet? Well, I always cite the data. And so when you stick to the scientific principles, and by the way, I've got credentials where I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any one of these folks, okay? For most smart scientists, they get told, you didn't go to Harvard. You don't have a public health degree. You don't, you're not at a top institution. We're at so-and-so university, and who are you? You're not a physician. You're a PhD, you're, you don't see patients. They don't have any of those criticisms on me. So I put questions out in that scientific spirit of these are unknowns and these are knowns. Because you have not studied something doesn't mean that it's not true or it is true. Right. That's what bothers me, too, is they say, oh, well, there's, there's no evidence that vaccines are unsafe. There's no evidence of side effects. Well, if you refuse to study it, you refuse to publish studies on it, you refuse to ask questions, then, of course, you're going to say your findings are that there are no long-term side effects or there's no problems. It, it worries me. Uh, I think women have been going through a lot with these vaccine side effects, too. They finally have come out and kind of admitted that. But they were pushing these vaccines on pregnant women. They are pushing these vaccines on children, on babies. I mean, it was really endless. When you overcount COVID hospitalizations and death, the virus appears more dangerous than it really is. And when you undercount vaccine complications, the vaccine appears safer than it really is. Now, look, people have died of COVID. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I believe right. vaccines save lives in high-risk individuals. But why did we have no studies on vaccine complications? So people were telling us, hey, um, my father died of the vaccine, and the CDC has no interest. We reported it, no investigation. How do I know of four people who have died of the COVID vaccine? Just me as one U.S. citizen. How many more people are out there? But did they ever admit it? I mean, you can sit there and look at it, but when we say it, we're labeled as conspiracy theories. Right, left, if you say, hey, I know somebody who got the vaccine and they weren't right after. They go, well, it wasn't that. They're not honest about it. And these people feel like they have no recourse. They don't know where to go because the science community is not interested. You are, but in large, the science community is not interested in hearing from these people that are saying, oh boy, you know, I've never had health problems before, but I sure do have health problems now. Well, the rest of the world is not under this sort of pressure of your NIH funding could be pulled if you say something or you can't go against the establishment. So we're learning from overseas. We learned from Israel and Germany where in Germany they did the study, definitive, came out, one in 5,000 vaccine doses results in a severe adverse event, not being in bed for a day, a severe adverse event. So here's the bias that I think our HIV medical establishment researchers brought to COVID, because a small group of people have been making all the decisions, and they're on their cell phones with each other. Mm -hmm. And look at Dr. Redfield's recent comments. He said he was basically told all the policy and decision-making was going to be it with Fauci and Collins, and they wanted to keep one narrative. In other words, don't say anything. We're making all the decisions. He was left out of meetings, he recently told The Spectator just a week ago. 
So when you have that level of centralization, that's not healthy. So I think that was part of the problem. Now, overseas, they don't have that. In Germany, they studied it. I mean, guess what? One in 5,000. So I think the bias, we all bring biases, and I'm, I'm mm -hmm. honest about this. I was trained as a surgeon in surgery. We have limited information, and we have to make a decision. We can't hem and haw and, yeah, maybe it's airborne, maybe it surfaces, just wash your hands like crazy for three months. Right. No, you got to make a decision. If there's insufficient data, you get that data. Fauci should have done the research to find out it was airborne in 24 hours of COVID being discovered. Not go on CNN for 10 hours a day dangling, yeah, wash your hands for 20 seconds in your mail and all. It's a scientific unknown how it spreads. Do that research in 24 hours. Right. That's your job. That's your job as head of, the, as head of NIAID. So... These guys were, who are HIV researchers, I think, brought their bias, which was in HIV, there's no natural immunity. Right. It's a virus of the immune cells. And they said over and over again, everyone is at risk. Everyone's at equal risk. Right. Well, that's not true. Not Anybody true can see right. it's not true. I, I mean, and that goes back to the whole lockdown thing. When this first started happening, when it, this two weeks to flatten the curve, I was in L.A. at the time. We were the first ones to shut everything down. I remember it. I was flying back from Dallas, and it was like, come midnight, everything is closed. Arresting surfers. Yeah. and I, Oh, yeah. People that were out there wanting to actually be healthy and do things that would help not only their general health, but also protect against COVID, being a healthy individual. Yeah. But, you know, ordering Uber Eats to your heart's content and ordering Taco Bell and Domino's and all those other things, that was perfectly fine. That's a whole nother discussion. But when everything started shutting down, this two weeks to flatten the curve nonsense that I never believed what were you thinking initially when they said, hey, I think the best method is lock everything down? Did you think it was going to be two weeks or did you see the writing on the wall with this? No, we knew it was not going to be two weeks. We just thought, well, what are they doing? But here's honestly, I'm going to give you my honest perspective because my position evolved. When we saw what was happening in Wuhan and Italy, and then I saw pundits going on TV giving their opinion on whether or not it was going to hit the U.S., I thought... Let's call the doctors in Wuhan. They have cell phones. Yeah. We can talk to them. If I'm a Johns Hopkins public health professor, they will take my call in northern Italy and Lombardi Hospital, and we will find out, is it a problem with lung compliance? What treatments are working? Who's being affected? Do you see healthy children in the hospital? The answer was no. And so we were starting to get information that no one else was interested in collecting. And so in February and early March, before the pandemic hit, a group of us went on the airwaves and desperately warned businesses to prepare contingency planning, to get ready for people to prepare for the storm. We didn't know what we were, we were gonna deal with, it was scary. And you know what we were told over and over again? Fauci's not saying this. He's not, the only, he went on days before the, the lockdowns to say, I remember on one of the Sunday morning shows, somebody said, bottom line, what should we know? And he says, if you're older, I would not go on a cruise right now. Right. We're like, thanks. We're trying to sound the alarm to get people ready to protect vulnerable Americans. Right. To well, you hit the nail on the head. Vulnerable Americans. At the start of this whole thing, if we would have told those that were immunocompromised, those that were elderly, if we would have said, hey, you guys should probably stay home. You guys should probably mask up. You guys should probably get a vaccine when it's available. Yeah. Would that have been the solution instead of, hey, all of you 21-year-olds out there, you probably should lock yourselves in for a couple of months, work via Zoom, and not go out and see the light of day without two masks on your face? 
we don't have to speculate whether or not that was the right strategy anymore. We have the observational data from Sweden. Compare Sweden with Michigan. There's probably no greater head-to-head -head comparison. When people compare New York and Florida, there are so many confounding variables. Mm -hmm. Seasonality, the treatments were not as good when New York got hit. But Michigan and Sweden had identical symmetrical waves that were concurrent chronologically. The identical population, 10.3 million, the identical age distribution of older people, and in Michigan, the most draconian closures of parks mm -hmm. and schools policy in Sweden wide open. They even made mistakes that they said they were a little too open. Double the deaths per capita in Michigan versus Sweden. No learning loss, the study just came out right. in Sweden. This is no longer an open scientific question. The data are in. People want an apology. Yeah, you'd think. And now Fauci's gonna retire. He's gonna go on to bigger and better things. I quite frankly feel like he's a criminal myself. Now you don't you haven't had the best things to say about the man either. But I could talk to you all day. In closing though, I wanna know, where do we go from here? Joe Biden just said the pandemic is over. Okay, well, most of us have felt the pandemic was over for a couple of years now. We've been moving on with our lives, certainly here in Tennessee. But when he says it's over, people are still gonna get COVID. But where do we go from here? And what should Americans that are concerned be looking for, ready for, especially when it comes to the political narrative of this whole thing? Well, first of all, we can, we need to rebuild trust in public health. That means all fresh new leadership, and that means a new system of following science. We have not seen any following of the science with a lot of the COVID policies the last year. You know, bypassing FDA experts, rigging internal votes at the CDC, pharma controlling the narrative, um, the, the litany of errors that are not just past, they're still ignoring natural immunity, mm -hmm. they're still talking about school closures like we save lives, they're still pushing boosters for five-year-olds, they're still requiring vaccines. People who are fired should be rehired. They had circulating antibodies that neutralized the virus, but they were not antibodies that the government recognized. Those tens of, the, over 100,000 Americans should be rehired with back pay and an apology. But why would there? Why was there ever a vaccine mandate when we knew early on that the vaccine didn't prevent infection or spread? It was supposed to lessen your symptoms, hopefully keep you out of the hospital, keep you from dying. So even even if we take out natural immunity from the equation, if it, the the message of vaccine mandates was supposed to be, well, you don't want to endanger someone else, it didn't make a, a difference anyway. How can they possibly get away with that kind of rhetoric? in that kind of conversation about endangering other people when the vaccine didn't keep you from spreading it or getting it. And it hurt people who were already ultra low risk, who right. had vaccine complications. Look, um, the, fa the primary failure of Dr. Fauci and the medical establishment was the failure to recognize that COVID has a 10,000 fold different risk level in a young healthy person versus an older person. They never accepted that. And so the message was an equal, universal, uh, indiscriminate policy across the board. They still do it. It's so frustrating. You know, one of the researchers in the, I don't want to say which agency, but in the health agency that I interviewed for the Barry Weiss piece went about the exodus of smart people mm -hmm. leaving the NIH and CDC, they said, we can't say anything. I feel like I'm watching a horror movie and I can't close my eyes. And that's how I have felt much of this entire pandemic. So I just think we need a fresh start. We need to move on. People need to recognize that we have a seasonal virus. 
some people are very high risk and they need to take, you know, be careful. If we're going to have variant specific vaccines, let's share some data before we push it hard on people. Yeah, you'd think. You would think. It's not the flu vaccine, it's different. It's got its own unique mechanism of action and it's a novel platform and the virus circulates before it spikes in the in season. Mm -hmm. Unlike flu where we don't have it to study. And by the way, flu is not done the right way. So it's not the model that we should be following. There's so much, so many questions <laughs> so I have much. for you, but you know, you've opened a lot of eyes and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being one of those people that's out there that is speaking the truth because there are very few in the medical community. And like you said, you've got the credentials to back it up. So if they have an issue, they can get a tissue. Mm -hmm. Thank you <laughs> on behalf of Americans for sounding the alarm. And please come back anytime because I have a feeling COVID's never going to be it's done. It's not going to go away. They're never going to, they're, you know, they need mass mail-in voting, but that's yeah. another subject. <laughs> All right. Uh, from one debacle to another, still ahead come the new year, the state of Illinois is about to become one of the most lawless states in the nation, possibly even worse than California and New York. It's being touted as the purge law, and the officer, Brandon Tatum, is sounding the alarm. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Alarm next. for your participation. That was a clip from the popular horror thriller, The Purge. And while that looks like some good Hollywood special effects work, what's about to happen in the state of Illinois come 2023 is, well, basically that. The flood and prison gates are about to open thanks to the new no cash bail reform ignorantly titled the Safety Act. Violent crimes, burglary, robbery, arson, kidnapping, almost all drug offenses, DUI offenses, and even DUI offenses involving a fatality do not qualify for detention under the Illinois Safety Act. If you're wondering why the hell Illinois, home to the city of Chirac, would do such a thing, well, that's a great question. Joining me now with his thoughts is host of the Officer Tatum Show and podcast, Brandon Tatum. All right, Brandon, I'm going to read off some of these for you. Uh, this is not a full list, but it is a partial list. Second-degree murder, aggravated battery, and arson without bail, as well as drug-induced homicide, kidnapping, burglary, robbery, intimidation, aggravated DUI, aggravated fleeing and eluding, drug offenses, and threatening a public official, all things that do not qualify for detention. What do you think of this one? 
Tommy, these people are out of control. They hate America. They hate their cities. They want to see it crash and burn. Those are the only uh, words that I can use to describe why in the world can a person kidnap another person and not be detained and have access to, I guess, appear before a judge and then promise to appear in court at their court date. I mean, this is absolutely out of control and outrageous. Also, domestic violence. If a person smashes the TV and goes to jail, they would not detain that person. They'll let him out with the expectation that he's not a danger because he didn't put his hands on his girlfriend or his wife. However, when he gets out again, maybe because he's upset that he got arrested in the first place, he will go back and finish the job. These are things that occur that police are afraid of. When we go and we arrest people, we expect them to be held accountable and the justice system to work properly so that we're not dealing with the same criminals day in and day out for them not to be emboldened to commit crimes, knowing that they're not going to be held accountable. These, This is a recipe for disaster. And I'm glad you played the clip before uh, showing the purge because that's exactly what's already happening in Chicago. And it's just going to become more prolific. What I can't figure out is that even New Yorkers, even people in Southern California and in San Francisco, they're looking at their bail reform policies and they're saying, you know what, I don't know if this is quite working out. And then Illinois looks at that and goes, yeah, I think we should become the first state, our entire state to introduce that. Where is the, the motivation for that? There's been a public outcry on both sides of the political aisle that these criminal justice reform policies aren't working, yet they're still taking a stab at it. Well, you know what? It's a social justice uh, uh, pitch. It, it, is, it is a virtue signal. So what's happening is that there's a lot of people who are around who are low information voters. So they're not going to look at what's actually happening. The news is not going to report the actual crimes that are being committed. They're just going to be able to show a chart to somebody and say, look, our arrests for homicides are down 50 percent. You know, our, our arrests or detention or people being sent to prison, uh, black people in, in incarcerated is down 60 percent. But they're not talking about the fact that these people are out here killing more than they've ever done before. And, and they're not going to give you the synopsis or they're not going to give you the explanation of why police officers are leaving the police department, given the fact that they cannot do their job effectively. They're not going to talk to the voters about that. They're just going to tell them all these beautiful numbers and virtue signal and hope that they vote for them, uh, vote them back in the office. However, I think they've gone a little too far. I don't know if they're drinking their own Kool-Aid or, or, or they're smelling their own. You know what? But for some reason, they believe that this strategy uh, can have a positive effect and that somehow they're going to be able to manipulate people into not understanding what's really going on. If you go to Chirac, like you like you mentioned, which is Chicago on the south side of Chicago in the hood, they call it Chirac because people are getting murdered every single day. A lot of people who live in that community that are not involved in gang violence, they want something different for their community. They want more police involvement. They want to be able to call 911 and know that they're going to be safe and know that if a person goes to jail for robbing them, that they're not going to get out and rob them again in retaliation. So I, I, I don't understand fully why these people think that the, the, the strategy will work given the fact that there is low information voters, but the but the reality and the dead bodies that are laying in the middle of the street and people that are in very nice affluent areas getting robbed at gunpoint, I, I, they are going to uh, have a different approach. So I, I really hope that they, they get a grip on these things and that the people begin to vote differently in Chicago. 
think or you're, at least in Illinois as a state. When you're exactly right about the numbers, because that's the motivation behind all of this. It was the same motivation in New York, in California, when they introduced this, you know, cashless bail option. It was we need to reduce prison crowding. That's why they reclassified all of those felonies as misdemeanors in California. That was a poster child for it. I lived in L.A. at the time. It was pretty much nothing is going to send you to jail or to prison. And then we can tout the fact that we've cleaned out our prisons. And then most of those people ended up homeless, terrorizing people in Southern California anyway. But you make a, a good point as well about communities, because the representatives that are advocating for this cashless bail and all this criminal justice reform, they're saying, and we actually have a quote from the House chair of the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus, Representative Kim Cam Buckner, she said this is the first stab at addressing public safety issues and police distrust in minority communities. So they really do think that they're reaching out to these communities. I know you're a big fan of gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake in Arizona. She made an excellent point the other day when she was asked about the distrust from the black and brown community, and she put it excellently that, hey, listen, you don't think the black and brown community is concerned about their safety? They absolutely are. Do you think that it, people are going to vote that way, though, especially in those minority communities, given what they're seeing in the lawless streets? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Unfortunately, there's still going to be a lot of people that vote um, against their best interests because in the inner city communities all around the country, we've seen this play out time and time again, that when you're black, you're a Democrat. And the Democrats are for the people and Republicans are racist white people. And the propaganda machine does a really good job at influencing people to make the wrong decisions. However, I do think that there's going to be an influx and in people changing their minds in which in the way they vote. I mean, if you look at the immigration things that are going on, the sending these migrants to the Martha's Vineyard, people are saying, wait a minute. I thought that this was, you know, I thought something else was going on here. The government is actually failing at their jobs. And the same thing with the violence in the inner cities. I mean, people are getting robbed. The rapper in L.A. got robbed and killed for his for his gold chain. You know, people are literally feeling the effects of not only the economy and everything else, but the violence that's going on. And police officers are leaving police departments at a record number. And of course, they'll be able to tout we have less uh, traffic stops. We have less minorities getting pulled over and shot by the police because we because police officers are not involved. They, they cannot proactively police. Less people are getting you know caught up with fentanyl and, and selling drugs because police are not there to arrest them. It's not that the numbers are going down, but I, I think that people in the community are seeing it. I think there's going to be an uptick of people voting in a different manner. But to think that it's going to reverse the entire uh, theology of some of these inner city communities that have been brainwashed over decades, um, I don't think we're going to see that that significant of a change. So, Officer Tatum, I have always been critical of these criminal justice reform bills, laws, referendums, because I think it actually undermines what real criminal justice advocates want to do, because it puts it all into the same basket with horrible results. I didn't like the First Step Act. I know a lot of conservatives did. Of course, Donald Trump was a big advocate of the First Step Act. I was concerned that people were going to be swept up in that that probably should be behind bars. But I, I have to wonder, what does these cashless bail and all this, what does this do to actual criminal justice reform? Because most Americans would say, hey, listen, somebody that's caught with a little bit of weed or this, that and the other, they shouldn't be put behind bars for a lengthy amount of time. We can usually all agree on that. But it's all being put in the same basket. The lines are being blurred. Is there a place for true criminal justice reform? And what does that look like to you? Well, first, you have to start with the victims, right? We should be caring about the victims more than the criminals. 
you know, they like they like to tout, oh, we should let these people out of prison. They've been redeemed. But what about the victims? These people have been traumatizing people for the last decade and, and, and nothing has been done. That's why we have accountability in the criminal justice system. But I, I'm for uh, we call the, the First Step Act. I advocated for it um, because I felt that if you have a person who's done their time in prison for drug offenses and they have finished or completed the residency reduction training, and they have shown good behavior and the victims uh, of their crimes can advocate that that they've forgiven them and they should be let out. All of those things can 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 be a part of what we call reconciliation. I'm OK with that. But that does not include rapists. That does not include somebody who's violently committed a crime, somebody who's pulled a gun on somebody, robbed them at gunpoint, shot somebody, murdered somebody. You have to be held accountable for those for those things. The, the problem is that we could get to a solution. Because as a community, we could come together and say, let's start evaluating why are people in prison for 20 years for selling drugs? And we can evaluate that person's criminal record. We can see if that person is ready to be reintroduced into society. We can evaluate those things. But to just give a blanket uh, reform based on the color of somebody's skin, because mind you, Tommy, they're not talking about white people in prison. I don't right. see a single stat to say we need to reduce white people in prison. They're going off of color. They're going off of virtue signaling. And I think that's our biggest problem. But let me just say this, and I want to finish this as a former police officer. You know, we need to be holding people accountable. That's the thing. You know, it's like parenting. You, you, you're afraid to discipline your kids, so you let them do whatever they want to do. That's not the way we do society. Even drug dealing. Drug dealing does harm a lot of people in the community, especially if you're dealing fentanyl. That's killing people at an at a, at a epidemic rate. So we have to say, let's hold people accountable. Let's find it to where we can get these young people to not sell drugs before they have to go to jail. You know, let's have these right. conversations before they get into a, a place of degradation. But, uh, you know, I, I think that overall, our criminal justice system can be reformed, but we can't do it based on race alone and we can't just blame the police officers. Well, it's it's not really different from what's happening at our southern border. We can talk about the people that are here, but first we got to secure the border. So let's start there. But you're wearing an interesting hat, of course. Fathers matter. What a concept. Glad you brought that up, though, because there's a lot of discussion about putting black men behind bars and we need to decrease the black men behind bars and, and locking up people of color. That is the discussion. You're right. Nobody is talking about white people behind bars. Quite frankly, most people in the woke community don't care. But what part of this goes back to parenting? And if we had better parenting in those minority communities, would that be a solution worth talking about? Because I don't see many on the left, on the woke left, discussing that part of the equation? Well, Tommy, there's two factors that I think will work way more effective than criminal justice reform and all of this old woke stuff is that, first of all, returning back to God. We need to put God first. There, there's a structure that God has called us to participate in that will be more conducive for our families and, and our success in life. And then the structure of having a two-parent home having a strong quality man leading the house and protecting the family and raising young men to be men. You know, that's the biggest problem that they don't want to talk about. You can look at any statistical uh, analysis and you'll say, you know, the kids that are committing the crimes, dropping out of school, the propensity to, to commit violence, all of those things are in households that do not include a father. And, and, and going back to God, you know, it's, it's God has created this structure for us to abide by that will make us more successful. But the left don't want to talk about that because it's a difficult concept and it's going to involve people being held accountable. Right. Why can't we tell our young men you need to marry these women? 
Why are you sleeping with every woman that you see at the nightclub? That's not conducive for your growth. Or if you have a child with a woman, why are you pressuring her to have an abortion and or you're an absentee father? That's not conducive for the growth of the family. You need to be intentional about your relationships as a man. And when you do have children, you need to be intentional about being a father to your children, being present. There's there's men that are in the home, but they're not in the home. You know, they're present there. They're, they're physically there, but they're not involved at all. They're not raising their children. They're not teaching them principles. They're not they're not teaching their young women. This is what you look for in a man. You know, all of these things can be solved if we do it from a moral, cultural level and not depending on the government. Oh, I agree. And I also think that there's some blame to go around for for women in these situations as well. You know, we talk a lot about fatherless homes. We talk about deadbeat dads that take off and they don't have time to foster their family. They don't have any interest in, in fostering a family environment. But there's women in this equation, too, who have been empowered by popular culture and the mainstream media to be single mothers and they don't need a man. They don't need anybody. That's part of this cultural equation, too. And flip on any award show, any TV show, any pop culture show, and you see that being reinforced. So, What's your message to the women out there that are also in these difficult positions? Oh, I think that, you know, women are it's, it's equal opportunity here. It, women are just as equally a problem, too, because we have this culture of toxic baby mamas. You know, women who want to force men out of the relationship. They use the the, the system of uh, uh, the, the family court system, child support system to gain leverage and create toxic environments. And, and many of them and, and I, I have met women like this. I have seen women like this. See, I'm a man, so I think we need to hold a man accountable first. But I have met women that literally say, I don't need a man. And, 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 and I have them argue with me sometimes on my social media. They get mad at me when I talk about single mothers who aren't doing what's right. You know, some people are put in a position and they have no control, right? The man walk away, he die or whatever, and they have to take care of their responsibility. That's, that's what women, that's what good women do. But then there's women that say, I don't need no man. I don't need no man in my house. I'm glad your daddy gone. Your daddy ain't nothing anyway. But, but wait, she never thought about what does your son think about his daddy not being there? Right. You don't like the relationship, but your children are suffering. And we have plenty of those women to go around. Um, so I think that there's blame on both sides. There's men that need to step up and do what's right. And there's women that need to do what's right. And all of those men and women that we see today come from a family structure. If they had good parents that taught them how to be good parents, then we would see a different perspective versus a single mom is more than likely grew up in a single mother household. And so she thinks that that makes sense that you don't need a man. She thinks right. that that makes sense. You don't have to get married and you can have as many kids as you want. And, you know, the government will take care of you if, if push come to shove. Yep. And so and you hit the nail on the, the head with that. I'm glad you brought that up because also it's our our government dependence that has incentivized in some ways single motherhood. And you're right. There's a big difference between those that are in that position because that's the position that they're in and those that choose that position. And they know they'll get more money from the government if they remain single and have X many kids. That's a big part of the problem. It usually always goes back to government causing a problem and then government trying to be the solution to the same problem that they cause. And then it's just a giant mess. But thank you for being here, for breaking it down with your brutal honesty as always. And I'm going to have to have you back because I have a feeling we're going to have, you know, more policing and law enforcement topics to come as long as we've got about 850 days still left under Joe Biden. Thanks so much. Officer well, you, better, you better believe it. And God bless you, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. 
All right, up next, CNN's Don Lemon got a history lesson on the slave trade and the supply chain, and it gives me great pleasure to share my final thoughts on the great humbling of Mr. Lemon. That's next. CNN's Don Lemon got a history lesson on the slave trade and the supply chain, and it gives me great pleasure to share my final thoughts on the great humbling of Mr. Lemon. Queen Elizabeth's body hadn't gone cold before the rabid vultures of the global left started not only attacking her, not only celebrating her death, but demanding reparations. Remember this? She wore a crown with pillaged stones from India and Africa. And now what you're seeing, at least in the black communities that I'm a part of, um, they want reparations. Yes, rich, elite TV personalities who have never been enslaved, nor do they know anyone who's been enslaved, demand payback for historical injustices. That's the bedrock of the woke movement and all its nonsensical, whiny, and moronic glory. But it wasn't just The View's Sonny Hostin who had the classless audacity to go on national television and say such a stupid thing as much of the world mourned a beloved queen. CNN's resident oppression Olympian Don Lemon also felt the need to make the reparations argument and uh, it didn't go well. Marie Antoinette famously said, let them eat cake, but here's Don Lemon eating crow. And then you have the, those who are asking uh, for reparations for colonialism and they're wondering you know a hundred billion dollars twenty four billion dollars here and there five hundred million there some people want to be paid back and uh, and members of the public are wondering why are we suffering when you are you know you have all of this vast wealth those are legitimate concerns well i think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it though what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain where was the beginning of the supply chain that was in Africa, and when across the entire world, when the slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished sla uh, slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, in Great Britain, they abolished slavery. Oh, Don, you probably shouldn't invoke history without knowing history, especially with a guest that clearly does know history because it makes you look like a giant tool. But it's worth mentioning Don didn't have much of a reply to that public and televised intellectual undressing. He simply switched topics. But I'm glad this little bit took place on CNN, though, because I doubt the remaining few dozen viewers that network still has are aware of the true history and origins of the slave trade. This is all a great lesson to those out there who think the world owes them something, whether it's due to the color of their skin, their pronoun preferences, or what have you. No, get over yourselves. The everlasting victimhood complex isn't cute, and it benefits no one, especially those who are inflicted by it. This Don Lemon clip is also a reminder of how important it is for us to study history rather than erase it or allow some to make it up as they go based on a woke narrative pushed by woke mainstream media propagandists like Don Lemon. CNN is failing for two reasons. They don't have their precious Trump punching bag and they pretend to be a news source when it's quite obvious the majority of their personalities don't know or care about basic facts. And there you have it. Feel free to watch that clip a few dozen times. I know I did. And those are my final thoughts. Be sure to catch the entire show and exclusive content on Outkick.com. From Nashville, God bless and take care.